0: Hey Buffalo City Church it's a a privilege to be with you this morning. You know I've uh I knew about your church um a little bit before it started and so I've been praying for this church for over 5 years. Isn't that incredible that you're almost at the 5 year mark? That's wonderful. So uh for those of you that may not know me and that's probably a lot of you just looking at faces, maybe you've seen me before, usually sit in the back with my family. Uh my name is Kalen Heller. Um my mom and dad gave me a weird name. Uh so Take it up with them later on. Um, But uh, so I'm originally from Gackle, um, but live in Jamestown now and work as a hospice chaplain um, for Catholic Health out of Valley City. Um, I'm married to Sarah, um, who is originally from Iowa, but she said Iowa wasn't cold enough for her. So I brought her to North Dakota and she said that it's plenty cold enough. Um, But it was last winter where I think it was like 13 degrees out and she was outside wearing a sweatshirt. And I was so proud of her. She's like, it's really not too bad today. So she's uh, she's officially one of us now, um, but it's it's my privilege to be with you, and uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the story of the prodigal son. So I, I love this parable, um, and one of the reasons why I love it is because I understand it. You know, that's not to say that Pastor Caleb or John or Blaze haven't done a great job of exegeting the other parables that we've seen, but because this one is so relatable. You know, my guess is that most of us in this room would tend to gravitate towards one character or the other within the story. I know that I do. But friends, I don't want to assume that all of us have heard this story before, because we may haven't, and that's okay if you haven't, because we're going to work through it together this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word, with you this morning. Would you open it to Luke chapter 15? uh, And we're going to be reading verses 11 through 32. And friends, would you stand with me as this is God's word for us, his people. And so these are the words of our Savior Jesus. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is found. You can be seated. So Jesus, he he tells his audience right off the bat who the characters in the story are. He says, There was a man who had two sons. You see, friends, it's a story about a dad and his two boys. This is pretty straightforward, right? Well, Yes and no. You see that Jesus tells this parable about a dad and his two boys, but each of these three characters in the story, they stand for someone outside of themselves. Craig Blomberg uh, has this to say. He writes that virtually every commentator notices the close correlation between the prodigal son and the tax collectors and sinners with whom Jesus was criticized for associating and between the older brother and the Pharisees of the law. Likewise, a correlation is oftentimes made between the father and the story with that of our loving God. Now, unlike some of Jesus's other parables, the parable of the prodigal son is very rich in detail. Uh, so much detail, in fact, that I think it would be easy to spend multiple weeks dissecting and trying to discern all that our Savior is trying to convey to us within these 21 verses. However, our plan is, This morning is to take a closer look at the parable of the prodigal son from the perspective of its three different characters. So with the first portion of the parable, we saw or we see how discontentment leads to disaster. How discontentment leads to disaster. Jesus begins the parable by talking about the younger of the two boys, and, and he, he says this, he says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, friends, I, I don't know what pops into your mind when you uh, hear a conversation begin this way, uh, but for me, what I think of is I, I think of children, um, maybe parents uh, in the room or grandparents, that, that, that makes sense to you. Uh, you know, I think of a child saying, I'm hungry, I, I, I want my bike. Dad, I want a cookie. No, I want two of them. I want to read another book. I said I wanted a banana with a sticker on it. It's not a frozen sticker. It's, I can't, can't deal with that all the time. But, well, this, this seems harmless enough, right? It seems harmless enough, but the reality is that unchecked discontentment is amplified as we age. If our discontentment is not checked as we age, it gets worse and worse. And we see this with the younger son who begins this conversation with his dad by demanding that he give him his inheritance immediately. Now, culturally speaking, the older brother would have received two-thirds of his father's inheritance, leaving the additional third for the younger of the two boys. You see, in ancient Jewish culture, asking, that is, let alone demanding, one's father to give away his inheritance prior to the father's death, would have been an absolute disgraceful act. It was essentially the younger son saying, Dad, I wish that you were dead so that I could get what's coming to me. Friends, we clearly do not have all of the background information about the health of the relationship between the dad and his two boys. And some may argue that the younger son is demanding his inheritance because He's been treated as a second-class citizen in a culture that emphasized the importance of the eldest son. You see, we need to be careful not to read more into the story than what Jesus has provided for us. So all we know is that the younger son is demanding that his father give him his portion of inheritance immediately. Okay, so we see this, the the demand that's been made, right? So now what, what follows is nothing short of a miracle. You see, as an older, self-respecting Jewish man, the father was entitled not only to withhold the inheritance from his younger son until his death, but he could have given that entire inheritance to his firstborn. The dad could have said, oh, you're going to treat me like that? Okay, then your brother gets everything. But friends, that's that's not the way that the father responds. Jesus tells us that the dad divided his property between them. You see, this type of response would have been extremely countercultural to Jesus' Jewish audience. That sort of response would not have happened in first century Jewish culture. So we've read through this once already. I I just got done reading through this a little bit ago. But let's reread what the younger son said does once he received his inheritance, beginning in verse 13. And Jesus says that not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So it says, uh, Jesus says he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, friends, Jesus was more than likely speaking this parable uh, to a group of Galileans, a a Jewish group of people that were living in Israel. So, when they heard him say that the younger son journeyed into a far country, their minds more than likely would have jumped to the conclusion that he went to the land of unclean, at least in their perspective, unclean Gentiles. So upon hearing that the younger son squandered his inheritance and was forced to hire himself out to a local farmer to feed pigs, Jesus' audience more than likely probably took this information um, with a little bit of laughter, but also disgust. Um, And I think... Honestly, to me, it's kind of a funny picture, but it's also really sad. See, Jesus says that the younger son, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. You see, friends, the prodigal son, who would have been raised according to the principles of the law to detest anything that was deemed unclean, was now dying to eat the unclean food of an unclean animal belonging to an unclean farmer in an unclean country. He'd hit rock bottom. His initial discontentment led to disaster. And Jesus, he he paints this story so vividly for us that we can imagine the younger son sitting in the dirt, utterly rejected and fearful of not surviving when the light bulb comes on. And he has this moment of clarity, which Jesus talks about in verses 17 through 19, where he says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Folks, you see, some people have misconstrued the prodigal son's intent for trying to manipulate his data into allowing him to return home, but that isn't what's happening here. That's not the case in this parable. You see, the younger son realizes that he's been a royal screw-up. He recognizes that he has sinned against God as well as against his dad and therefore repents so that his relationships with both his father and his father in heaven can be restored. The younger son's repentance is on full display when he acknowledges that he is no longer worthy to be called the father's son. And therefore, he desires to simply be treated as one of his dad's hired servants. Brothers and sisters, I'll, I'll level with you this morning. If you're currently living in a reckless way, and this, this goes towards me too. If I'm living in a reckless way, if we, as the body of Christ, are living in a reckless way, then we need to squash our sin. And we need to repent and we need to turn and we need to allow Jesus, who is the great physician, to heal us. We need to quit justifying our sin. We need to quit pointing fingers at our husband or at our wife or at our kids or at the person that we consider to be our former best friend. Just because they've hurt us, that doesn't condone that we get to hurt them. Their sin does not condone our sin. Friends, if we've made a mess of our life, then we need to take drastic measures to make things right. And oftentimes, actually all the time, that requires humility and that requires a willingness to stop running from the Holy Spirit's conviction. You see, the youngest son's discontentment led to disaster at least until we hear from his dad. So let's look at how the waiting father responds to his son's foolishness. So if you look in your Bibles, verse 20, Jesus says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know, friends, it it appears to me that the, the dad the father in the story was waiting for his boy to come home. Theologian Walter Leafield writes, the father's compassion assumes some knowledge of the son's pitiable conditions. Dads, can you imagine not keeping tabs on your kids, even if they did something to hurt your feelings? You know, and I think about it for me, I would I'd maybe be over them for a day or two, but then I'd begin to wonder where they're at, how they're doing. And I can envision the dad walking on a nearby road leading out of the city every single day, maybe multiple times per day, just hoping to see his son, his little boy heading his direction. And then one day it, it happens. As the father is Scanning the road, he recognizes a young man in the distance, and he, he has a familiar walk. You know, dads we and moms, we notice the way that our children move, the way that they walk. And he's wearing a familiar garment. He's wearing a cloak that his dad knows, but it's filthy. And Jesus tells us that while the prodigal son is still a long way off, the dad, he takes off running, and he embraces his boy, and he kisses him. Friends, are you experiencing the magnitude of this moment? According to the law, for what the youngest son did to his father, the way that he disrespected and treated him, he deserved to be stoned to death. But yet we we read, Jesus tells us, that even before the boy opened his mouth to talk about how much of a screw-up he had been, his dad has his mitts all over him, and he's giving him a giant bear hug. You know, I can only imagine that the father and the son, as they're hugging each other, that they're crying. And as the younger son starts blubbering to his dad about how he's unworthy of being his son, the dad does something yet, once again, very incredible. You see, he doesn't say something meaningful like, son, I love you and I forgive you. No, in fact, it's, it's kind of weird that the dad basically cuts his son off mid-sentence and starts talking to his servant, which seems a little bit odd and maybe even a little bit rude, until we learn what the dad is saying. He says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Jesus says, and they began to celebrate. You see, not only was the son, the one who was the former screw-up, welcomed home, but he was treated as the guest of honor. Friends, if this is you this morning, if you identify with the prodigal son, if you've run from God and you've made a big mess of things, then I want you to hear this really clearly. The Father still loves you. He wants you to come home. Wayward son or wayward daughter, your dad, God the Father wants you back. The ruler and the creator of the cosmos wants you back. You just need to run to the Father and allow him to embrace you, allow him to put his mitts around you and to hug you, and to rejoice at your return. As Corey Tenboom Boom uh, uh, is credited with saying, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And we've seen the younger son's repentance and his father's joy in welcoming back his lost son. So now let's look at how the older brother, the self-righteous son, factors into the equation. So friends, I'll... Uh, I'll be uh, transparent with you a little bit this morning. Uh, I wish that Jesus would have ended this parable at verse 24. I really wish he would have. I would have loved this parable a lot more because verses 25 through 30, it hits a little too close to home. Actually, it hits way too close to home. But thanks be to God that he didn't because I need to hear it. And I'm assuming that some of you out there need to hear it. So let's let's reread uh, verses 25 through 30. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. This guy's a little bit bitter. Kind of sounds like a three-year-old. Friends, I'm not going to dig real deep into this pathetic rant that the older brother gives, but I want to bring attention to a few of the things that he says in these five verses. After learning that his younger brother had returned home and was having a party thrown for him, the older brother, he stands in the field and he pouts like a little boy. And as I read these verses, I honestly kind of feel bad for the servant. You know, he he just wanted to answer the older brother's question. And then all of a sudden the guy, he snaps and he starts screaming at him. And I can only imagine that uh, that the servant, as he's backing away, as he sees the dad coming, that he's like, oh, I'm so glad that the dad is here because I don't know how to deal with this guy. Maybe the dad can talk some sense into him. You know, the next ridiculous thing that I want to draw our attention to is found in verse 29. Um follow along. Verse 29, after the father comes out to the field to persuade his son to join the party, the older brother says, look. That's always a healthy way to start a dialogue, isn't it? Say, hey, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Okay, so let me just stop there for a second because the older son that he is making the claim that he's never disobeyed his dad. I mean, seriously, you've never disobeyed your father? Well, I'm, I'm not buying that, but let's, let's keep going with the text. Uh, Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Friends, are we picking up on what the self-righteous brother is saying? You see, first off, he's so angry with his younger brother, the one who is the proverbial screw-up. He's so angry that he's being celebrated that he isn't even willing to claim him as his own brother. He says, but when this son of yours, you see, he's so bitter, he's so resentful towards the treatment that his brother's receiving that he doesn't even want to be associated with him. Furthermore, he goes on to make the accusation that the younger brother devoured dad's property with prostitutes. Now, even if this were true, how would the older brother possibly know about it? Jesus doesn't mention one word about prostitutes earlier in the parable. And we know that the older brother is way too self-absorbed to actually go into the house to talk to his younger brother about how his life fell apart. You see, nobody expected the prodigal son to be the exemplary character at the end of the story, nor did anybody expect that the older brother was to not to look so good after all, but that's what we're finding to be true, isn't it? The older brother is trying to make himself look better by tearing his younger brother down. He's willing to spew lies and to drag his brother's recovering character through the mud to make himself out to be the victim of the story. And his sharp criticism isn't only directed towards the younger brother, but it's also directed towards his dad. You see, his dad is the person that has invested so much in his oldest son, who has not only given him of his possessions, but has given literally of himself, and who eagerly and desperately wants familial reconciliation, and yet he's completely being dismantled, By his self-righteous kid. Brothers and sisters, I I want you to hear this morning that ever since I heard that Buffalo City Church was coming into existence, I've already had a love for you. Um, I know that Pastor Caleb, I know that the leadership of this church, that they love you. But even vastly more important than that is that your Savior, he loves you. He loves you corporately, as a group, and he loves you individually, as the person that he made you to be. But you know what? Your Savior, Jesus, he loves people that you hate also. He loves them as much as he loves you, and he loves them as much as he loves me. See, friends, Jesus wants your nemesis to be in heaven, as well as you. He wants them and you to be with him for all of eternity. You know, and I I really dislike this about myself, but far too often I consider myself more important than some people and less important than others. You do this too? where you consider yourself to be better than some people, not as good as others? And the enemy the evil one, he loves when we buy into this lie because it means that we view ourselves as superior to some and resentful and bitter towards others. And the real twisted part is that we get satisfaction when the mighty fall because it makes us believe that our position has been elevated. Brothers and sisters, when this happens, when we find satisfaction in the failure of others, Satan rejoices. He rejoices. Now, there should be no worse feeling in the life of a believer than when we make Satan happy. Our mission is to make Jesus Christ, the King of glory, say, Yes, that's my boy. Yes, that's my girl. We are to bring glory to the Son of God and not the ruler of this world. Friends, the Apostle Paul, he tells us the way that we do this is by reflecting the humility of Jesus. And he does a, a fantastic job of this in Philippians chapter 2, uh, 3 through 5, where he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus' humility is always in step with his father's. And humility is an overarching theme of the Father in this parable. And for a conclusion this morning, I, I want to see, I want us to see that we have a merciful God. You see, the mercy of the Dad in this parable is put on display, both subtle and in not so subtle ways, as he models Christ exalting behavior for his two boys. Earlier in verses twenty through twenty-four, we saw how the dad modeled Christ-like mercy as he runs to, embraces, kisses, and reinstates his wayward son, not only to the position of beloved son, but to that of honored guest. And now here we see it again in verse thirty-one through thirty-two. The dad, the merciful dad, he responds to his oldest son with these words. He says, "Son, son, you." Are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see, friends, the dad, he just got absolutely blasted by his oldest son, and and he has every right. The law gives him every right to give him a piece of his mind, but he doesn't. He responds tenderly. He responds with mercy. And as I read the father's response, I sense that he wants to embrace his oldest boy like he did with his youngest, but but he knows him too well that that would not be received well. So he, he keeps a little distance between the two of them. And as a dad, as a dad, I have no doubt that the father knows exactly how to push his boy's buttons But he's way more interested in reconciliation than putting his son in his place. Craig Blomberg has this to say. He says that all of these details strongly suggest that Jesus wanted to present his audience with more than a simple, realistic picture of a family life. Rather, he used an extraordinary story to illustrate God's amazing patience and love for his ungrateful children. See this parable isn't about a good dad but it's about a merciful loving father Friends I want to end with this if you if you find yourself this morning either identifying with the prodigal son the screw up or with the self-righteous older brother I want you to know that the invitation to the party still remains open for you you see through jesus christ you and i we can be reconciled to god we can be made right with our father in heaven jesus wants that he wants to be reconciled with you he wants you to be reconciled with one another And he wants you to rejoice when others, even those that we don't really care for, he wants you to rejoice when they repent and are welcomed as sons and daughters by his Father.